All right, well, I'd invite you in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Uh, We find ourselves in John chapter 13, and we'll be in verses 31 to 38 together. As you make your way there in your Bibles, we're in the second half of John's Gospel. From chapter 12 following, um, we find ourselves following Jesus, and it's just the last few days of his life. And as we take a look at how much space the final days of Jesus' life takes up in the book of John, uh, John is telling us something. In chapter 20, verse 31, John writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what John is saying, based on how much space this, the end of Jesus' life takes, he's saying, if you want to get to know who Jesus is, If you want to discover if he's the Christ, if you want to know if he's the son of God, if you want to know he's the one who offers eternal life to those who believe in him and trust in him, take a look at the last few days of his life. And in chapter 13, we know that as Jesus is close to dying on a cross for the sins of humanity and then three days later rising from the dead, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what lies ahead. Not just his death and his resurrection, but his ascension. You see, he's going to go to the right hand of the Father. He's going to ascend to heaven, and, and he's going to promise to come back again. But he has an assignment for his disciples, and they need to be ready for what lies ahead of them. It's the same assignment you and I have while we wait on the return of Jesus Christ. And as he prepares them for what lies ahead, at the beginning of chapter 13, if you remember, he taught them the lesson of humility. And he encourages disciples to adopt an attitude of humility. The way they are to lead and the way that they are to be disciples is they're not to lead from the, uh, from the back, pushing the people. They should lead from the front. Uh, they should lead by example. And so if you recall, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He doesn't just teach them how to be humble. He demonstrates how to be humble. He goes around the table. He washes each of the feet of his disciples and And then he tells his disciples, as I have washed your feet, you would expect him to say, now wash my feet. No, he says, wash one another's feet. Uh, Demonstrate that attitude of humility. If you remember Jesus, he took off his outer garment then put on the garment of the least ranked servant in the household, the one who's in charge of washing the feet of the guests. And Jesus said, you see that example? That's how you are to serve when I leave and you accomplish, complete your assignment to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth, adopt an attitude of humility. As he prepared them last time we were together, we talked about how he predicted the betrayal of Judas. Judas's betrayal was not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus didn't, because of his weakness, or if he even had a weakness, accidentally chose Judas. No, it was, it was, he was chosen in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled. And Jesus predicted Judas' betrayal, not to shake up the faith of the disciples, but to strengthen their faith, to know that Jesus is even sovereign over the one who will betray him, because ultimately that betrayal will lead to what he came to accomplish, to die on the cross for the sins of humanity and rise again from the dead three three days later. And so as we continue in chapter 13, in verses 31 to 38, we now find Jesus continuing to prepare them for what lies ahead as he's going to give them a new commandment, as he puts it, to love one another. And as we take a look at our text together, we're going to ask and answer the question, what do we learn about Jesus in light of this new commandment he gives his disciples? So let's go ahead and read the text, chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. So when he had gone out, this is Judas, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men, all will know, excuse me, that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. 
Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. You know, as we walk through our text together, we're continuing to consider what do we learn about Jesus? Because we want to know, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the son of God? Does he offer everlasting life, forgiveness of sins to those who believe in him and who trust in him? And as we begin to enter the text, we, 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 we take a look at, at this new commandment and this commandment that he gives. And uh, the first thing we see in, in verses 31 to 33 is the, the need for the commandment. Why does Jesus give the commandment? Well, he's preparing them for his departure. And so what Jesus does in verses 31 to 38 is he describes his departure to them. His departure is the reason why these disciples need this command to love one another, to follow his example as he has loved them. They are then to love one another. And he describes his departure in verses 31 to 33 this way. First, he describes his departure as he's going to go away as the means by which he is glorified. Jesus says it this way, verse 31. So when he had gone out, this is speaking of Judas, Jesus said, now, now, uh, if you remember, if we could go back just a few verses, you'll remember that, that Jesus is with his disciples at the table and um, Jesus reveals to the group of 12, he says, one of you will betray me. And the disciples are looking around a bit perplexed because they have no idea who, who is it? Who is going to betray Jesus? And Peter, he's probably not sitting close to, to Jesus. And so he, he motions to John and says, hey, John, ask Jesus Who's the one who's going to betray him? And Jesus says, the, the one I give this bread to is the one who will betray me, speaking to, to John, the one whom Jesus loved. And as he gives it to Judas, he identifies him, and Judas then departs. He, he leaves, and the rest of the disciples are thinking, oh, Jesus probably told him to go, f uh, to go buy some things for the feast, or, or maybe he said to go, go, go buy something for the poor, but really he went out to betray Jesus. And, and the text tells us in verse 31, so when he had gone out, Judas departs, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is, is glorified. So Jesus describes his departure as, as the means by which he will be glorified. Jesus knows that as Judas departs and heads out to betray him, that is... The, the process of his glorification has just begun. You see, the, the process of his glorification has begun because, because he's going to die on a cross. He's going to rise again three days later and he's, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and the means by which he departs is the means by which he will be glorified. Now, as Judas departs and betrays him, this will ultimately lead to Jesus defeating sin defeating death and defeating Satan. And in doing so, Jesus glorifies himself. And so Jesus says, now as Judas departs, now the son of man is glorified. So first the departure is described as, as the means by which Jesus is glorified. Secondly, the departure is described as the means by which the father is glorified. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus says again and again, that he is an extension of the work and the words of the Father. Jesus does nothing independently of himself. He testifies of the Father. The miracle signs and wonders that he does reflects the works of the Father. If a man became, or if God became man and dwelt among us, you would expect him to do what Jesus did. Jesus, if he was truly God, you would expect him to be able to do miracles, signs and wonders. He did. Amazing miracles that we read about all throughout the Gospel of John. If Jesus was truly God, he would reflect the words of God that you read about in the Old Testament. And he would be a fulfillment of that. When you read about who Jesus is, Jesus did just that. And Jesus was sent by the Father to, to redeem humanity, to go to a cross to die and to rise from the dead, ratifying his victory over sin, death, and Satan, and then ascending to the right hand of the Father. So when the Son glorifies himself through his death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension, so is the Father glorified as well. 
So his departure is the means by which he is glorified and the means by which the Father is glorified. It says it this way, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Now for you and me, if you're in the shoes of the disciples, these disciples are having trouble connecting all the dots. We know that they're not going to connect all these dots until after the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And then they go, oh, that makes sense. This is why Jesus washed our feet and we're supposed to wash one another's feet. Okay. This is why Judas was, he predicted Judas's betrayal to strengthen our faith, not to, not to shake it up. And so the disciples, they're not putting it all together. But, but, but if you're in the disciples' shoes, even for us, if we, if we don't really understand everything that's going on, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? That God would become man, would live a perfect life, and then would be crucified on a cross, beaten and bloodied, humiliated on a cross. That's no way uh, to glorify God, right? He's humiliated, and yet the humiliation, the crucifixion, is the very means by which he is glorified and the Father is glorified. Why? Because something is happening. Jesus is dying intentionally. This is why he came to shed his blood to redeem humanity. And as he pays for our sin, he glorifies himself and the Father is glorified as well. There are people who wear a cross on their, on their neck. Some people just wear it because they don't exactly know what they're doing. You talk to some people, say, hey, nice cross, you believer, you're a Christian. And they'll tell you, well, no, I just wear it because it looks nice, you know? Wear it for, for this purpose or that purpose. Well, well, do you know what the cross is? It's an, it's, an, it's an object that represents how one is murdered, put to death, a humiliating death, and yet they wear it around their neck. Why do we, even as Christians, have the cross everywhere? Well, because it, it's, it's not the means by which, not just the means by which Jesus was humiliated, but the means by which Jesus is glorified and accomplished the purpose for why he came. So Jesus is glorified. The Father is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him when? Immediately. Jesus says, my glorification, the process of it, has begun now as, now as Judas has departed to betray me. Um, thirdly, we see the means by which the departure is, his departure is described as, as that which is immediate. Uh, verse 33, it says, little children. Uh, Jesus refers to them as little children. It's a term of affection. It reminds us of the way that Jesus treats his disciples. He loves them. He knows they don't understand it all, but he, he comes, he's preparing them for what lies ahead. And affectionately, he says, little children, uh, and he says this, I, I will, shall be with you a little longer. How, how much is a little longer? It's a few days. Jesus is about to die, rise. Well, he's going to be around for 40 days, and then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. But he wants his disciples to know, I'm just here for a little while longer. And so his departure is described as, as immediate. It's imminent. And then he says, you will seek me, and I said, as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. How's his departure described? His departure is described as that which the disciples will want to follow him in. Jesus, where are you going? <laughs> We've been following you for three years. Let's go with you. Where you go, we're going to go. And Jesus says, where I go, you cannot go, at least not yet. And so they will want to go there. And this is the same thing he told to the Jews, right? He says, you're going to look for me, but you're not going to find me. Now, for his disciples, eventually they will go to be with him. When he was talking to the Jews or these Jewish leaders, uh, if they didn't receive Christ or accept Christ later, they were not going to be able to go where Jesus went. So we begin and we see the need for this new commandment to love one another. Jesus predicts his departure and he describes it as the means by which he is glorified. The father is glorified. That which is imminent is going to happen in a few days, little children. So you better be prepared. And where I go, you cannot follow. And so what do we learn about Jesus in just a couple of these verses, verses 31 to 33? 
Um, Jesus is the one who predicted his departure and glorified himself through it. Jesus predicted it and he glorified himself through it. What does that tell you about Jesus? He's God. He's the son of God. He's the Christ. He is the promised, anointed prophet, priest, and king. He is the one that you come to, that you believe in, who offers you everlasting life in his name. That's who Jesus is. If I could give us a, a few takeaways, it would be this. The reason Jesus speaks to his disciples in this way uh, was to encourage them. And so this is an opportunity to remind us that in light of who Jesus is and what he's doing here, be encouraged by it. Be encouraged knowing God has a plan and no matter how bad things look, the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. You see, for his disciples, from their perspective, the betrayal of Judas and Jesus' subsequent crucifixion has destroyed their messianic hope. <laughs> they put their hope and their trust in Jesus that he is indeed the Messiah, but they don't get it. He is the conquering king, but he came the first time as a suffering servant, and he writes this to tell them, it may look as if I'm being humiliated, but know this, it's part of the plan of God. I'm being glorified really in it as I redeem the sins of humanity. What an encouragement to us. If God is sovereign over this, how much more is God sovereign over the smallest details of your life and mine? The small things that bent us out of shape. Man, God, we can trust you. Tells you Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth giving it all up and saying, Jesus, where you go, I will follow. It's worth denying myself. It's worth taking up my cross. It's worth following after you. Be encouraged. Secondly, be comforted. Jesus says these words so that he will comfort his disciples. He says, little children, I'm just with you a little longer. And so he comforts them with this, these words that, that he's doing something. And it's a comfort to us. Thirdly, be moved to worship. Jesus glorifies himself through his crucifixion as he dies on the cross. He glorifies himself through his resurrection as he rises from the dead. He glorifies himself through his ascension. We, when we come together as believers or when we take time to have individual conversations with the Lord through prayer and our devotional time, we glorify the one who went to the cross to bear our sins. We glorify the one who lived a perfect life in order that he might be our substitute on that cross. And so we say, Jesus, we glorify you. We glorify the one who's been crucified. We glorify the one who has been raised from the dead. On that cross, he defeated sin, death, and Satan. And in the resurrection, he ratified the victory. <laughs> he said, what I did on that cross indeed has been complete. Sin, death, and Satan have no hold on you because I am alive. And that resurrection life is available to you and I. And we glorify him in light of his ascension, knowing that he goes to heaven and he promises to come back again in glory. This moves you and I to worship. And then lastly, um, be motivated to love because uh, he's preparing us for what lies ahead. The reason he says he's going to depart in this manner as he is glorified, as the Father is glorified in, 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 immediately, this is imminent departure, uh, is because he wants us to be motivated to love one another when he goes. Um, if I could open it up for discussion, when you think of someone who loves like Jesus loved, uh, is there anyone on your mind who comes to mind? When you think of someone who loved like Jesus loved, like you say, wow, uh, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher growing up, maybe it's a person that you know in the church today in your life who has impacted your life. When you think of someone who's loved like Jesus loved, selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, is there anyone who comes to mind? Yeah, Harold. Yes, yes. Uh, 
a mother with a baby less than six months, that baby needs everything. Needs food, needs nourishment, uh, will take their sleep and all the rest. Yes, that's a, a mother who loves selflessly and, and sacrificially. Yeah. Anyone else you can think of who loves like Christ loves? Yeah, so the neighbor who shared the gospel with you, um, those who love selflessly and sacrificially, love us enough to tell us we need Jesus and love us enough to tell us the good news that there is salvation in his name. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else you can think of who who loves like Jesus loved, like we're commanded to love? must have some examples. <laughs> A good opportunity for our husbands in the room to say, my wife, she's right here. You know, uh, What a standard though, right? Jesus calls us to love. That was yesterday. <laughs> that was yesterday. <laughs> Jesus calls us to, to love as he is loved. Uh, so as we uh, take a look at the first few verses, 31 to 33, we see the, the need for the command. He predicts his departure. Secondly, we see the content of the command. As he, depart, as he predicts his departure, he says, this is the command you need to hear. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. I, I got an assignment for you. You're going to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. And so this is what you need to do in the meantime. Uh, verse 34, a new commandment. I give to you, that you love one another. Wait a second. This is not a new commandment, right? Isn't there, haven't you heard this one before? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How is this new? Well, the text tells us a new commandment I give to you. The standard is new. It just doesn't say love your neighbor or love one another. It says love how? As I have loved you. You know, we take a look at texts like between husbands and wives and uh, our culture gets all bent out of shape by the word submission, right? Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Um, But when you consider the call of the husband, you talk about a difficult task. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Who has a greater calling or a, most, a difficult one, to love as Christ loved. That's selfless, that's sacrificial, that's unconditional. Um, it says here, love, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he goes on to say, but by this all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you ask the average Christian or believer, hey, how are you doing at loving one another? Most people would say, yeah, pretty good. Eight or, eight, eight or nine, you know, I'm doing pretty well at that, you know. I, hey, I come to church, I greet my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I call them up every now and again. I got a small group and we're a part of that and we pray for one another and generally speaking, people will say, yeah, I do a pretty good job of loving my fellow brother or sister in Christ. And possibly you could say, yeah, you could do a pretty good job there. But then you, you, you one up the standard. And then you say, I'm not here yet. I'm going to say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's another step up, right? Okay, that's a little bit harder. Because one thing to love one another with my definition of love, you know, it's a whole other thing to love my neighbor as myself. Uh, if I'm talking within the church, you know, believers and um, if, if uh, someone is hungry, when I'm hungry, I feed myself. That's what I do because I love myself. And uh, so if my neighbor in the church is hungry, I, sh- I should feed them. If their car breaks down, I would expect me, if my car broke down, I would go out and fix my car. And so the expectation is if my neighbor needs their car fixed, I'd go out and help them fix their car, you know? Uh, uh, things come up. You, you love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not just love your neighbor as yourself here, right? It's it's love 
one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved them? He, he just washed their feet. Just took off his outer garment, put on the garment of the least ranked servant in the household, washed all of their feet. And, and, and Peter says, don't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter says, wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me, Jesus. Jesus says, if I wash your feet, all of you is clean. He's not just talking about his feet, he's talking about his heart. Jesus didn't just serve them by washing their feet. He served them by being crucified on a cross, beaten and bloodied. He died a substitutionary death, a sacrificial death on that cross. He, 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 he loved selflessly, sacrificially, un. Conditionally, and the, and the call is for me to love as God loved. And then he says this, this is how they will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Now, some of us, we, I, we mentioned the cross earlier, some of us wear a cross and we say, hey, that's how you know I'm a disciple. Some folks have you know, the, have you seen them, the, the fish sticker on your car. <laughs> That's how you know. Oh, there's a Christian right there, right? Um, some people say, how do you know someone is a believer? Not by the cross they wear, not by the fish you see on the back of their car or the church that they attend, but by their love one for another, demonstrating the same love that Christ showed us. Now, it's important to know that in ourselves, we cannot love as Christ loved us. We know in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So let me start there and, and tell you, you cannot fulfill this command in your own capacity, in your own ability, relying on yourself. You must rely on the Holy Spirit. And until you are regenerated, you cannot love as Christ calls us to love. So that's, that's the first part. I want to open up for discussion since this is such a, a good topic. And, uh, uh, what specific ways has the local church, if we begin there, made you, made you feel loved? And we'll, we'll, we'll walk through these questions. But uh, if you could describe how believers in the local church have made you feel loved, where you said, man, I was blessed. In your past, in your present, how would you say this really made me feel loved when the church did this for me or a fellow believer did this for me. Yeah, so someone encourages you. Uh, someone uh, shares a verse with you. Somebody prays for you. Someone lets you know, hey, just want to check up on you. Yeah, encouragement. Yeah, sir. Oh, yeah. You have a surgery and the church comes around you and says, hey, you need food. We got a meal train. Uh, how are you doing? How'd the surgery go? And it just makes you feel cared for. It makes you feel loved. They took some time to check in on you and say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Anything else? Steve. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even know the need that you have, or sometimes you just want to be, you know, I don't need help. And so someone goes above and beyond and says, hey, would like to help you out, or just shows up and is there for you. Yeah. Yeah, it goes a long way. Anyone else? Yeah. Tasha. Oh, yeah, just to see the love there. Yeah. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just, just yesterday, uh, um, it was like, I don't know, three or four o'clock. Someone called us and said, hey, 
are you guys going out tonight for Valentine's Day? And, I, and we said, oh, no, we're just hanging out with the kids. They said, we're coming over, and we're going to take your kids from you. And we're like, all right, God bless you. <laughs> I mean, you feel loved, like last minute. Like, you guys doing anything for Valentine's Day? We'll take your kids off of your hands. Well, that's a neat little thing like that. Um, so those are ways you feel loved. And it's good to think about what makes me feel loved. Um, how have people blessed me? Because then it allows us to love one another. Uh, what are practical ways we can do a better job of showing love one for another? Uh, where does the church fall short? What, what does it look like truly for us to love like we're commanded to here as Christ loved us? What does that look like in the church body that you would say, hey, we need more of this, or uh, we could use some of that? You can talk generally, too. You can see... I hear being more aware of the needs around me um, so that when they arise, I can, I can meet those needs. Yeah. <laughs> Harold. Yeah. Yeah, love them enough to share the gospel with them. Did I see a hand over here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we judge folks by what we see, just going past that, yeah. Yeah, other practical ways we can love better as a church, as individual believers, maybe I put it that way. How can you personally love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ better? What's that? Give them a hug. You can even go further, give them a holy kiss, maybe? No. I don't know. <laughs> no, give them a hug. Uh, yeah. Let them know you're happy to see them. Embrace them. Yeah. Other ways? Yeah, Leslie. So being, yeah, just being available, chatting with folks and getting to know people that you, you haven't talked to. Sure, sure. Yeah. I could listen. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, so tough love sometimes. Sometimes we need to hold one another accountable, and that means uh, holding one another accountable, pointing them to the word and saying, hey, just, just concerned about your brother or sister in Christ and uh, love you enough to, to chat with you about it. Yeah, goes a, far, goes a long ways, yeah, yeah. And I think of serving with your gifts in the church. God has gifted each one of us to have unique uh, contribution to the local body. Each of us are a member of the body of Christ and locally uh, we all have a part to play and so serving with those gifts that God has provided each one of us uh, to serve his body make, goes, a, goes a, a far ways. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can do a better job of loving one another. I think it's recognizing that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we, you walk into a church and say, hey, how can a church serve me? Uh, what a blessing to say, hey, you know, some, we live in a, a, a kind of a culture today, a consumer mentality, right? Coming to a church, hey, uh, how's your children's program? How's your youth program? How's the worship music? How's your staff? Uh, how well you do this or that? And sometimes it's, hey, um, you guys are missing this, and I can jump in, and I can serve that 
unique hole there and I can make a contribution and I can bless the church in that capacity. I'd like to ask one more practical question. Are there practical ways we can measure if we are loving the way we are commanded? How can you at the end of the week and say, hey, am I loving the way that um, Jesus has loved me, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Are there practical ways to, to measure that? Yeah, so, so checking the motivations of your heart, uh, taking time with the Lord and just uh, checking that, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that goes a long way. So asking someone you know and you trust within the church, hey, how am I loving, how am I doing, how am I doing? I think even your spouse, if you say, hey, one of your closest neighbors, one of your fellow believers, your husband or your wife, and you ask, how am I loving you? They can let you know. They can let you know. I think that's good, Josh. Thank you. Yeah. Any, any other practical ways? Well, you know, it, it tells us, new commandment I give you, love one another. This is how you will know that they will know you are my disciples. There's got to be some measurement we can use, right? Yeah, Steve. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That goes a long ways. Hey, when you're in the workplace and you see somebody, how do you know they're a Christian? Like, right? Like you're in the grocery store or you're interacting with them. What, what kind of is that? Whoa, you must be a believer. I don't know. Yeah, I see that. I see it. What do you see? How, do you, how, do you, how can you tell they're a believer? How does the world say, whoo, yep. That's a Christian. They're weird and we don't like them, but yes, they're a Christian. How do you tell? Yeah. Yeah, so your countenance, uh, there's joy. <laughs> Sometimes we have to convince our face of that, yes. <laughs> yeah, anything else? Well, I just paused there because I really want us to think about this. I mean, it's what the world sees. This is how they identify the disciples of Jesus Christ. And it should be our, our love one for another, selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. Um, and that should make a difference when people see us. So husbands and wives, as they love selflessly, sacrificially, and unconditionally, um, they're two believers. People should be able to say, yep, that's a follower of Christ. That's a follower of Christ. How we love one another when within the church we disagree, when an offense is done against a fellow believer, how we respond, how we work through differences, how we work through conflict should tell a lot about who we are as believers, how we respond to sin, how we respond to conflict, how we respond to issues. Do we respond in the manner that we should as we love one another and as you go down these things and you say, how am I loving my spouse? How am I loving my family? How am I loving others in the church? Well, maybe there's a, a far ways to go. Someone says, hey, hey, I, I, I have a prayer request. Hey, I, I need somebody to help me with this. And you say, well, I'm pretty busy right now. I've got a job to do. I've got things to take care of. You know, I, you know am I loving as I should? We, we, we've got our, our things to think about. And so, um, verses 34 to 35, we see the content of the command, and we get to see who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who loves as we should love. As we fix our eyes on Christ, as we thank him for his unconditional love, his selfless love, his sacrificial love, that love, as it poured out in our lives, should overflow in our hearts into the lives 
of others as the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to do just that. Um, and then lastly, because we, we saw, the, we saw the, the, the need for the command, we saw the content of the command. Lastly, in verses 36 following, we see the conversation that follows the command. Jesus has just told his disciples, this is the commandment. Love one another as, as I have loved you. You know, if you do that, this is how people will know you are my disciples. And Peter, all he can think about is, Jesus, you're leaving us? <laughs> Jesus, how is that? Verse um, 36, it says this. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Uh, Jesus answered him, Jesus really doesn't uh, give him the answer he's looking for. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But listen to uh, just how Jesus answers this. He says, but you shall follow me afterward. In a moment, Peter is going to say, I would die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times what an encouragement and what a blessing to know before Jesus predicts it and before he does it. Can you imagine denying Christ three times? Jesus says, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. He gives Peter the promise of heaven. Now, we see the different disciples. We just talked about Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. Now, Judas is not among the 12, after Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father, he is replaced. But Peter, even in his weakness, even in his denial, he has the assurance of his salvation. Who is this Jesus who loves the way that he loves? So it says, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. Heaven is promised. Peter, at impetus, uh, uh, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus, if I have to fight for you till the death, I will do that. I'm willing to die for you. Jesus answered, will you lay your, down your life for my sake? Ask him to think about it. Most assuredly, I say to you, this is the truth. The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus has just told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And Peter says, Jesus, I'll die for you. Jesus says, will you really, for my sake, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. We have a tendency to underestimate our weaknesses. Peter is one of those fellows. He says, Jesus, no, I'm your top disciple. Wash all of me, right? He says that. If you're going to wash me, wash all of me. Jesus says, no, I just need to wash your feet, then the rest of you will be clean. Here he says, hey, I will die for you. Um, who is this, this Jesus? I, I'd like to say this. Jesus is the one who promises his followers heaven, even in the face of knowing their weaknesses. We've been talking about Jesus. He's sovereign. He is sovereign over salvation. You go back to John 6. Jesus says, whom the Father gives me, I will hold on to them and I will not let them go. The reason you are sustained in your faith, the reason you have your faith and you are being sustained in your faith is not because you are holding on to Jesus. It's because he's holding on to you. And when your grip begins to loosen up, he's the one who's still holding your hand. And even you see a guy like Peter who in the midst of, the, of what's happening, he is going to deny Jesus. A sad moment. D.A. Carson says this, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. Now, if I could give us a couple takeaways in light of who Jesus is, uh, the first one would be this, admit your need for help. Admit your weaknesses. Get to know yourself. Because while Peter is going to deny Jesus three times after Jesus dies and rises from the, from the dead and ascends to the right hand of the Father, Peter is the one who's leading the charge of the disciples. He's the one who preaches 3,000 get saved in Acts. 
breaches and 5,000 get saved. God is using him mightily. And Peter is the one who is going to, well, as tradition says, is going to be crucified as well. But for the sake of Christ, tradition tells us, he says, no, don't crucify me upwards. Crucify me upside down. That's Peter. John 21, 18 to 19, here's what the scripture says. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This speaks of the manner in which Peter will die. This he spoke signifying, but what death he would die, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter would die for the sake of, of Christ. He would deny him three times first, but he would later die for the sake of Christ. Why? Not because of his power, but because in his weakness, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what God calls us to do. What makes you think that when you experience persecution and people you, you feel the pressures of the world pushing in on you and, 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 and people look at you and say, are you going to stay true to Jesus Christ? Are you gonna be faithful to him? And you say, oh yes, I will. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit who can enable me in my own strength and in my own power, I can do nothing. Peter is a reminder of that. We rely on Lord, when do you find yourself trusting in your own ability rather than relying on God? And how can we guard against underestimating our weaknesses? Can we talk about that? When you consider, when you find yourself trusting your own ability the most, when is that? Um, and how can we guard against underestimating our, our weaknesses? Anyone want to share? Yeah, Mike. Oh, yeah. So you can easily point to yourself and say, hey, I'm where I'm at. I have the success I have because of me. But really, it's the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Harold. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So love is tested not in the good times, but the bad times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Were you going to swing around to uh, um, when we rely on our own ability? Would that be the same? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just that constant dependence, prayer, Goes a long ways. It's those moments when we need the Lord the most to get us through. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else want to share how we can continue to rely on, on the Lord's ability over our own uh, and not underestimate our weaknesses as we sometimes can, as you see in the case of, of Peter? Say that. Check your, check your pride. Yeah. Yeah. Pride can get in the way of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry. Yeah. 
Yeah, you learn from your mistakes. And I think Peter is a good example of that, right? We get to John chapter 21, and Jesus restores Peter. And you remember the questions he asks him? Peter, do you love me? Remember that? He denied him three times. He, he asked him, do you love me? He says, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep, you know. Uh, do you love me? He asked him again. Well, well, take care of my lambs, right? Asked him three times. Peter just fed up. Jesus, you know I love you. And he says, you care for my sheep. That's how you show your love for me. And you learn so much from those mistakes and those weaknesses. And so when you hit rock bottom and you realize just how weak you are like Peter, when you realize that, Lord, I'm more prone to deny you than I really think I am. Pride can get me in the, in the way of that. Thank the Lord that he is the one who sustains you. He's given you the faith to believe and he's the one who will see you through it till the end. What a God that we worship and serve. Who is Jesus? In light of our text, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who offers life eternal to anyone who will believe in him. You put your trust in him, he's like the door. You'll go in and out and you'll find pasture. He, the, the, the enemy, he just comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. The abundant life is finding contentment in the care of my shepherd. If you haven't believed in Christ, if you haven't come to him, the invitation is to come. And for us who already have, continue to follow after him and bring as many people with us. Can we pray? Father, uh, we thank you for this text and the reminder of our need to follow the commandment we've received to love one another as you have loved us selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, sending your son to die for our sins. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray, Lord, that you, well, first I want to thank you, Lord, for just the ways that we've shared in this room today about how we felt loved by our fellow believers, how we've seen your spirit at work in the life of our church, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to cultivate that in, in our hearts and how we love one another. May we be aware of the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And in times when that love is tested, I pray, Father, our reliance would not be on our own ability, our personality, but it would be upon you as your spirit leads and as your spirit guides. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, if there's someone uh, on our minds that we need to share this message with in light of who Jesus is. I pray, Father, for them, those who are on our minds and on our hearts. I know who I'm praying for, Lord, in regards to who hasn't trusted in you as their Savior and Lord. So, Father, I pray for, for all those on our minds and on our hearts that we've been praying for, Lord, that right now you would do a work in their hearts, that you would open up an opportunity in this next week or in the next couple of weeks, Lord, where we can have a conversation with them and through the work of the Word and the Spirit in their hearts, Lord, that they would, they, they would be enlightened to the truth of who you are, Father, and that you would use us to, to make that impact and that difference, Lord. Uh, show us opportunities as we interact with people throughout the week, Lord, of those that we can point to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and what he's done for us. Pray, Lord, that we would be reminded of and encouraged of it throughout this week. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.